So now I'd like to introduce you to Wendy, a member of our mission team. And um, she has a really close relationship with Open Doors and uh, has known Andy for several years. And so I've asked her to, to just share a little bit about her relationship with him so you as a church can know part of why we support Open Doors. So every um, mission partner that we have has a connection to the church and has a relationship with someone in the church at, that has brought us into partnership with them. So she's gonna share a little bit about that and then introduce Andy. Thank you. My family has known Andy Cannon for about 18 years now. When my brother first moved to Denver, we didn't have a place for him to live. And just through a series of miraculous conversations, we found out about Providence Ministry, Providence Network, and found out that they had an opening. And my brother was able to move in, I think within a week of coming to Denver and needing a place. And I immediately met Andy and was wrapped up in the love of the community. He had a place of safety. And, and love and acceptance and he lived at Providence for two years and then found a permanent home at Cornerstone Ministries her Cornerstone home uh, a ministry for handicapped men that and he was there for for 12 years um, every time he told me about a conversation with Andy he was just delighted and beaming about that interaction he was always thrilled to have that relationship and Andy really um, is an example of ministering and loving through community and enfolding people that are needing um, love and, and all of us need community. And he just exemplifies that in everything he does and the, the systems that he set up and the, the ministries and the opportunities for people to gain wholeness through community. So I wanted to remember his book, Loving the Broken, that that is such a great title and such a great uh, illustration of what he's done in the city of Denver for so many years, I think almost 30 years, over 30 years, in starting the Providence Network and the Open Door Fellowship Church and all the ways that he's reached out to people in Denver. And so you'll hear a little bit of his story today and then I really do encourage you and invite you to go to the tour which is actually Wednesday the 3rd at 6 o'clock. And you'll be able to see some of the places that Andy's talking about where uh, all of this is happening and reaching people. So I really am so delighted to introduce Andy and to have him here with us today and excited for what he has to share with us. Andy? Thank you. What a privilege to be with you today. Uh, Fred was such a special friend of mine. Uh, he had some uh, challenges. But one thing about Fred was um, God had gifted him with an incredible memory. And he couldn't give you a conversation, but what he could do is say, Hi, how are you, Peter? And he would smile real big. So he was our greeter at Open Door. And then we got him a job at the Safeway down here at uh, Park in Washington. And he worked there at the Safeway, greeting everybody that came in there. And they all fell in love with Fred. So when Fred passed away, uh, man, the Safeway employees, the police, everybody that frequented Safeway came. And uh, we had a great celebration uh, saying how much we're going to miss him, but that we know we're going to see him again restored in heaven. Um, 
Let me bow in prayer and ask God's anointed anointing on this message. Father, what a special time it's been already, Lord. Lord, we ask for a special anointing today because we want to know your heart, Lord. Lord, bless this time, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to talk to you about discovering God's heart of compassion. In Mark 12, 30, Jesus answered a question about what is the greatest commandment by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Over and over again, by word and deed, Jesus reminds us and shows us what he means as he lived out this love while he was here on earth. In James 1.27, James summed it up like this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Why would these two virtues be so all-important to God? And, by the way, so overlooked by us, who truly are orphans and widows in need of God's grace. Amen? I believe that it reveals the great difference in God's priorities and in our priorities. We make religion so complicated, don't we? But it's so simple in God's eyes. Love the orphans and the widows of this world out of a pure heart which will keep you from being polluted by the world. I believe it reveals the great difference in God's priorities and ours, of God's heart and ours. Our heart tends to love because we need or desire something back. What's in it for me? My heart cries out. The other day, we took in a family into Joy House, which is one of our long-term two-year programs. She had a 15-year-old daughter who had a two-year-old daughter. She had her 15-year-old daughter, her nine-year-old son, and her four-year-old son came from Samaritan Shelter, and as she came in broken, and her little children came in looking at the Joy House, a home for those who are victims of domestic violence, the kids looked at it like it was a mansion. And as we moved them into their little two-bedroom apartment, they were just amazed that they had their own safe place to be for all five of them in that small two-bedroom apartment. But as I have to confess, as I looked at her and I looked at the children and I thought of what a mammoth task we are taking on, out of all the other problems, 12 other women and 18 children, I said, Lord, <laughs> why her? How are we going to tackle this? And what am I going to get out of it? But a whole lot of headaches, a whole lot of problems. You see, there's something about the orphans and the widows that purify your motives. 
they can't give you anything back. They can't give you fame and fortune back because they have nothing to offer. So human love ceases and God's love has to begin where our love and our ability ends. I remember starting Open Door Fellowship downtown in 1984. Two years after starting Open Door Fellowship, I reported to our sending church, Bear Valley, a wonderful church. Their church planting policy was after you start a church, if it's really of God after about two years, it should be pretty much self-supporting and ready to roll, uh, ready to be sent off and become its own independent church. I stood before those elders two years later and I said, well, I've got some good news and some not so good news. The good news was our attendance last week was 75 people. I said, the bad news is that our offering was $60. And our really bad news was that Linda and I gave 30 of it. <laughs> By the way, I want to introduce my wife here, Linda. She's the courageous woman that's endured all this with me <laughs> and partnered with me through all the years of ministry 37 years in downtown Denver. I want to take you, though, to Isaiah chapter 58. Because Isaiah 58 is a very special chapter that in my mind contrasts what we view, what God desires and what religion is with God's heart as he reveals it in this chapter. In Isaiah 58, the people were in bondage because of the rebellion against God. They were virtually slaves. And they began to get their life right, and they began to follow all the religious practices, and they began to follow all the religious holidays and all the things that were important in their minds to true religion, to get God's favor again so that maybe they could be freed and become the nation that God promised they could become. God sends a message through Isaiah in Isaiah 58, verse 2. He says, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Sounds like a pretty fired up bunch to me. How about you? And yet there's something wrong and God has to send this message through Isaiah and he reveals it in verse 3. He says... Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? They're saying, God, we're getting things together here. We're straightening things out. We're trying to do the worship thing you want, and yet we're still slaves. You're not coming through for me, God. Anybody feel like that before? I felt that many, many times. When I was a young person, I thought I was doing God such a great favor to open up my heart and serve him instead of do what all my peers were doing. No change of heart. Seeking God, but it was still basically all about, God, what are you going to do for me? In verse 4, he goes on. He says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. 
No change of heart, no concern for justice, no concern for those that even we in our lifestyle may be oppressing. And then in, chapter, in verse 6, God does something very special. He reveals his heart. He becomes vulnerable. He says in verse 6, Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. He's saying, Israel, my heart is broken. There's a world out there that is being oppressed, that is being pressed down by the prince of this world and by fallen systems and uncaring people. And my heart is broken for them because I designed them to have so much more and to be all that I created them to be. This is what is a fast unto me, is that you connect with my heart, that your loves flow, my love flows through you to a broken and a hurting world. Then he promises in verse 8, then your life will shine forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he will say, here am I. A change of heart. Connecting with God's heart. Instead of making it about us, we connect with the heart of Almighty God and begin to move in the spirit of his love into a broken and oppressed world. You see, throughout the ages, this is the church's true legacy. In 1977, Linda and I came to a church here in Denver that was in tune with God's heart, a church believing that everyone in the congregation had something to do to build God's kingdom and bring healing to broken people. That night we called from Memphis, Tennessee. We were coming out of the Jesus movement. We'd been praying where the Lord wanted to send us, and Denver, Colorado kept coming to mind. And I said, "Hun, who do we know in Denver? He said, well, my Uncle Frank has a church in Denver. Maybe you ought to call him. So I called Frank Tillipaw. Told him my heart. Told him, felt like the Lord was leading us to Denver. He said, that's, that's interesting because last night I had four couples in our church, a part of a small group, they had just read Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger by Ron Sider, and they made a commitment of $200 a month each to support getting something started in the inner city of Denver. They wanted to get behind someone. They didn't know who, but they just felt God was leading them. It was the night before I had called Frank. We got all excited, and so we came in the fall of 1977 and started a home at 22nd and Wadsworth, there was a big old farmhouse. We called it the Genesis Center in the spring of 1978. And that church was so excited 
They were fixing that place up. They were painting. They were furnishing. They were filling the cupboards with the dry goods. They were getting washers and dryers. They were just doing everything. I was out there plowing a garden with Dr. Bob Williams, who uh, later started the Inner City Health Center. Um, I was scared to even talk to the guy because I never met a doctor. My family wasn't from that kind of an educated type of folks. But there we were, plowing that garden together, all excited. This church was so excited to be a part of God's movement. I was 25 years old. Let me tell you, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> and boy, now I look back at how little I knew, and it scares me to death that they put their trust in a kid like me. <laughs> I wanted to lease a gas station because that's what we did with the Jesus people and, and uh, support the ministry. A member in the church was all excited. He said, I'm going to donate the, uh, the profits from one skyscraper that I sell downtown to these Canadians. Whatever that profit margin is, I'm going to donate it to get the ministry started. It was $50,000. And I thought, okay, Lord, we're going to get this gas station. So I went to fill out all the applications for the gas Exxon and all the different uh, Conoco, different station companies and in their lease application it says list out what you've been doing for the last 25 years in the gas industry <laughs> well being 25 years old <laughs> i realized uh well that idea wasn't going to work so as we began to pray and try to figure out what we were going to do we kept coming downtown into denver witnessing and bringing people home well, overnight you know how big the homeless population is in Denver. Overnight, we had over 40 people living in that old farmhouse. My wife's cooking for 40 people. We're trying to manage all this chaos. I'm 25-year-olds, have no strategy. I'm just bringing older alcoholics, young teen moms, everybody in between, and said, just come on in, you know. And it was a chaotic mess, but I'll tell you, I thought it was glorious. The only problem was after about three months, we were starting to run out of money. After six months, over half the money, way over half the money was gone. And the church came to me and said, uh, how are you keeping your books? And I said, well, um, I don't have any books. As they all collapsed almost literally to the floor, this board of directors, <laughs> the church accountant said, well, let me take care of your books. He said, what do you do? I said, well, I just get this feeling that it's time to stop spending money for the month. <laughs> oh, why? But they believed in me. This other church member kept coming by the house and he kept saying, you know, um, I really believe God is calling you to start to work with me in this janitorial business. It's actually, you could be your own subcontractor and you could, you could uh, have your people that you've been discipling kind of run little crews and you could be discipling in the business. And, and I just was disgusted with the idea because after all, I had a a bachelor's degree, and no one in my family had ever even gone to college. So I thought, there's no way I'm going to do janitorial. So I thanked him very much, sent him on his way. Another month went by, we were further broke, and he came by again and says, I really feel it. Thank you very much. appreciate it, but uh, we're just believing God's going to make it happen some other way. Well, we were down to about three months left of operating budget, and guess what? He came by one more time. He says, I just, I'm sorry, but I just can't get it off my heart. I feel God really wants you to do this janitorial. And you know what? By then I said, I'm honored. 
that you want to work with me. And you know what? He started us in the business, and I put had different little work crews. I was out there working with them. And guess what? Within six months, we were 90% self-supporting. I call it the best idea I never had. <laughs> but it was people like that. People in the church. People listening to God. People accepting what God gifted them to do in so many different ways. All of them working together to support this great project. or it wouldn't have been done. You see, what preceded and followed these beginnings was a decade of hardship. Linda, Linda and I lived in low-income housing. We had six years where we didn't even turn in a, uh, didn't have to turn in a tax report because we didn't make enough money. One time we had literally everything we owned stolen when some people that we had taken in they saw our schedule, how we went out on the streets every day, came back at 10 o'clock at night. They just rented a U-Haul and went and moved everything out of our house, right down to my wife's glasses. Needless to say, we had extreme marital difficulties. <laughs> my wife left me three times, but she kept coming back. I don't know if she's a glutton for punishment. I don't know what, but <laughs> it's been 40 years that we've been married, and I just thank her for her commitment to the Lord and to me. I had my life threatened at gunpoint several times. Was forced to move four times in a little over a year after a decade of ministry on East Colfax. Something about that time, though, after that hard decade, and I was so set on this one little area of Capitol Hill, I just felt we just had to stay in that area. And even though I wanted to quit over and over, I felt like if I gave up and quit, I was actually leaving God himself. At that time, I didn't understand that. I didn't even believe that theologically, but it was in my heart, and I just couldn't get away from that. I could watch other people come and go, come and go, come and go. I couldn't go. But after that 10-year point, something broke. I believe it was a spiritual stronghold over Capitol Hill that we broke through and we carved out a little spot of the kingdom of God on East Colfax in Capitol Hill. Almost immediately, Open Door Fellowship began to grow. We formed a group of pastors, a coalition of pastors came together where we formed Mile High Ministries and hired Jeff Johnson. Mile High went on to help us Remodeled the five homes on Marion Street. If you take the tour, you'll get to see them. We bought all five of them for $20,000 a piece. They were old drug and prostitute houses run by Sid King and Sid King's Crazy Horse Bar. Anybody remember that place down on Colfax? Oh, Biff raised his hand back there. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't frequent it, Biff. But uh, yeah, Mile High Ministries was started today. Mile High has grown as a thriving inner city ministries. Denver Street School was started in our church. Today, it's a high school for kids who have been dropped out or kicked out of public school. Now there's 40 Denver Street Schools in states all across our nation. The Providence Homes were started. I started, founded them with a couple of businessmen uh, in uh, 1986. They're long-term discipleship programs. Bud's Warehouse and Second Chances are job skill training programs 
growing and thriving, effectively training people who are unemployable uh, to be employable with soft skills and go on to get a regular job. And then, of course, Open Door Ministries, which was uh, under the umbrella of Open Door Fellowship for non-traditional ministries that the church was going to start, has five homes, uh, Esther House for women coming out of prostitution, Kaya House for single women, Treasure House for uh, single moms, Cornerstone for disabled men where Fred lived, and then the Lighthouse, which my son Matthew is here, uh, runs the Lighthouse for 20 men over at 740 Clarkson. That's the one that's in the lawsuit. Uh, not due to my son's fault, actually. It was uh, the neighborhood is upset with some of the things that are going on there, even though we've been a blessing to that block. Um, we have the preschool, uh, which is a licensed preschool for so many of the, the moms that are poor. The Joy House moms bring their kids, and many other kids come there. Jonathan works the preschool, Peter and Susan's son. Uh, we have before and after school programs, ministry to homeless youth. Uh, we have a t-shirt business, so if you all want to order any t-shirts, you can do it through that ministry, Contact Open Door Ministries. Uh, we have church youth programs, raising up leaders, uh, and then we have volunteer and internship opportunities. I, I want to encourage you to take a tour of the block because you see, after being kicked out of four different places in one year, I cried out to God, Lord, just give me a place to stand. Lord, the devil's kicking us around this block. Just give us a place we can own. Guess what? Now we own the block. We have five homes on the block, we own the church, and then Caddy Corner is Joy House owned for the, by the Providence Network. I don't think the block's going to be kicking us off anytime soon. Today, all these ministries are thriving, thanks in a great part to the volunteer efforts of thousands over the years from churches all over the metro area doing their part as God has gifted them. Now we have through Open Door and Providence Home, nine homes with over 150 men, women, and children living in long-term, Christ-centered, transformational communities. All of this began because one church was in tune with God's heart and many members took risk as they obeyed God's leading. They also believed in God's call in me and my wife. And I'm so grateful. In conclusion, in verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 58, it says, If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs even in a sun-scorched land. My book, Loving the Broken, I'd really love for you to get a copy of my book. It tells the story of this journey. More importantly, it teaches principles to discover and stay on the trail of God's heart of compassion and it teaches priorities to rebuild broken lives. There is no joy like the gift of his purpose.
inspired through the love of God that he's placed inside each one of us as his children. The joy of his calling in our life. All of us doing our little part and a great difference will be made in a desperately needy world. Let's pray, everybody. Oh, Lord, we are orphans. Where would we be had you not touched our lives? We have nothing to offer but your love, Lord. Lord, help us to love as we have been loved, that we might honor you and our joy would be full. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So religion that is pure and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And, and maybe you say, yeah, well, I just kind of don't want to visit any widows. Um, I don't feel like visiting the orphans. And, and that's kind of the problem, isn't it? That's the way of the world. But do you ever feel like, like an orphan, like you feel distant from God, from your Father in heaven? Do you ever feel like, like a widow, like separated from the great bridegroom who is Jesus? Well, this is religion that is pure and undefiled. For on the night that Jesus, the great bridegroom, was betrayed, on the night that Jesus, the only begotten son of the Father and our big brother, was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. So you see, this is religion that is pure and undefiled. This is the heart of God the Father, Jesus from the bosom of the Father. And so he calls you to his table this morning in order that you might receive his heart. And what that means is that you confess your heart. You, you say, God, I, I, I really just don't like visiting orphans and widows that much. I like caring for people from whom I will receive something in return. Uh, in other words, I'm a sinner. And then seeing that he has loved you um, when you had absolutely nothing to give him, and that's could only be, that could be the only case, right, because he's your creator, uh, that he loves you with this love. And then scripture says that we love because he first loved us. So this morning he's calling to all of you orphans and widows, to say, look, do you understand? You're an orphan no longer. I've adopted you into my family. Uh, you're a barren widow no longer. You're my bride, you're my people, and I give you um, my life, my seed that would bear fruit in your life. So this morning, God calls you to come to his table 
and to learn to love as he has loved us. So um, pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I confess to you that I don't really love love. There's a part of me that doesn't love love. And it's wicked, Lord God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for giving me your heart that I would know your joy and live my life in your kingdom, even here in the midst of this fallen kingdom. Because, Lord God, you are good, and I see it in Jesus. Amen. So there's power in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus and that the power isn't in the J or the E or the S or the U or the S. The power is in what that name means and who that person is. And the name means God is salvation. And Lord God, we thank you that there's power in that to break every chain because from the foundation of the world, you made a covenant to purchase us with your own body and blood, to create us with your own body and blood. And uh, Lord God, this morning we have entered into that covenant. And so Lord, I pray now for everyone that's come to the table and for even those that haven't to, to, to know that you have done this, that, that you have uh, formed this covenant that supersedes all other covenants and breaks the orphan spirit, breaks the widow spirit, that declares to us and to the world that we are your children. And Lord Jesus, we are your bride. And so there is no chain stronger than your love. And so, Lord God, we declare your love in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you break every chain. And Lord, we would like to help you break chains. So use us as your army to declare your, your gospel that, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is victorious. In his name, we declare the chains broken. Amen. Hey, if you'd like to stick around after the service, we'd uh, love for you to just hang out and get to know each other. But also, uh, if you'd like to um, get to know Andy, he's going to be in the back on this side where he has his uh, books. And I'd love for you to get to know Andy. You know, he was uh, really a blessing to my family about, uh, I don't know if he even knows this, hopefully he can hear this back there, but seven years ago, my world kind of blew up and the world of my kids blew up. And religion looked pretty impure and pretty de defiled to my kids. But they were volunteering down at Open Door, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. And I think that's where Jesus met them. And John still works with uh, Open Door, and Elizabeth is in Chile teaching English. But um, I hope that, that you would discover that. And you know, um, that's why we have mission partners, so that we can do that together but you don't need to even join a, some mission partner because you know orphans in your life, don't you? You know widows in your life. You know people that feel like God hates them and Jesus does not love them. But you're the army sent to go tell them. The Father is absolutely in love with you. And your bridegroom has given everything for you. So believe the gospel and live free in Jesus' name. So let that be your benediction too. Believe the gospel and live free. In Jesus' name, amen.